0: Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ.
1: We hope this message helps you along your journey. Good morning. So I have not met most of you, but my name's Ben. Um, My family and I moved here to Fishersville about a year ago. And started visiting some different churches, and i 'll make it short, but anyway, um, Caitlin was very generous. We met her at a park, and she invited us over to their house for dinner, not really knowing us at all. Um, it was pretty crazy, but it was fun, um, and my wife and I were just very impressed with their hospitality, so we thought eh, we might as we-, we should probably go at least visit the church, um, and we have been very impressed with the authenticity of the church body. So thank you very much for that. We've, I've really enjoyed coming here. So got the message about uh, membership this morning. Got it? Okay. All right. But anyway, um, I'm here to read scripture today. So we're going to be in John chapter 4, uh, verses 43 through 54. And this is the CSB. So... After two days he left there for Galilee. Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When they entered Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him because they had seen everything he did in Jerusalem during the festival, for they also had gone to the festival. He went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, He went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son since he was about to die. Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Sir, the official said to him, come down before my boy dies. Go, Jesus told him, your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. While he was still going down, his servants met him saying that his boy was alive he asked them at what time he got better. Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him, they answered. The father realized this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, Your son will live. So he himself believed among, along with his whole household. Now, this was also the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Well done, man. Thanks, Finn.
0: Yeah, if you haven't met him, his beard alone should draw you in. Um, You should be in John 4, right? Go ahead and have your Bibles out if you haven't turned them there yet. John chapter 4. Uh, Guys, I count it uh, one of the most, uh, the greatest privilege that I have uh, in my life is to do this. So I'm really grateful that I get to explain God and explain his word and to preach it. So, I got a question for you that I want to start off the morning with, and it's, trust me, it's not a trick question. Don't think I'm trying to look for some alternate answer. Let me just ask you, how are we saved from sin and death? Lord. Jesus. <laughs> Okay, okay, so we should be able to have a good answer on that. That's, we say in unison, right? So, so it is Jesus, and you gave me the Sunday school answer, and you're not wrong. You're exactly right. So let me clarify the question a little bit further. What is our part in that? What is our responsibility in our salvation? What do we do for it? Faith. It's faith. It's not our goodness, it's not like we dangle before God, hey, look at what I can do, right, look what I've done. No, it's simply, hey, I've trusted Jesus. I have faith in him alone, so it's our belief that we simply contribute to the equation of our salvation. Christ has accomplished everything. Guys, we have uh, the catechism questions, right? For the kids, there's one question is, is how can we be saved? The song, how can we be saved? And then it jumps into the Carlton, only by faith. Only, by, anyways. So it's got these, it's got this core reality that it's simply our faith, right? So, so there's all sorts of other religions, almost every other religion, including sects of the Catholic Church, will say it's your faith that starts it, but it's your, it's your works that complete it. It's your works of the law that increase your salvation. Guys, that is not biblical in the slightest. And praise God that that is not the gospel. Right? If you, if you, if you look at a quick survey of scripture, Titus 3.5, right? Let's just think about that. It says that God saved us not according to works done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Right? This is a critical doctrine of the Christian faith. It's one of the things that was uh, reaffirmed, kind of rediscovered, reaffirmed, and preserved in what we would now look back on as the Protestant Reformation, right? So uh, we are saved from sin and death by faith alone in Christ alone, Right, so we've got sola fide, sola Christa, right? Christus, like, like so, so if you didn't know this, we are of that tradition. We, technically, in the original sense of the word, we are a reformed church. We are of the tradition of the Protestant Reformation. So we hold to sola gratia, sola fide, sola Christus, sola scriptura, uh, soli Deo Gloria, right? Which is, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed in scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. Amen? amen? Guys, this isn't anything new. I can just tell you scripture about this, right? Jesus himself says later on in John 5, he says, truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. doesn't have any equation in there It says, and who believes in him who sent me and, and works really good right? Does their good deeds, right? No, no. They have eternal life if they just hear Jesus' word and believe in the God who sent him. If you recall Jesus' own parable in Luke 18, right? Uh, the, the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Who, which one of them went away justified? The tax Why? Because it, 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 the Pharisee didn't go away justified because he was going before God saying, look uh, Look at how good I am. I do all these good things, right? And I even do extra good things. I'm not sinful like that tax collector back there. He's, he's dangling before God his good works. Here the tax collector is way far back and he's beating his chest. and He's not even able to lift his head and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He's the one who goes away justified, not the Pharisee. We've got other passages of scripture that also affirm this from the Apostle Paul, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace that you are saved through faith and this is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no man may boast. We've also got Galatians 2, 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law no one will be justified or my favorite verse the verse that I was uh, convicted about the gospel and came to saving faith in Christ in Romans 1 15 and then 16 Romans 1 16 says for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation for all who what believe all who believe no matter your ethnicity or race guys we are rescued by faith in Christ alone but here's the thing what do we mean by faith what do we mean when we say faith what kind of faith is it that Jesus asks of us right what is saving faith that's a very critical question is it not because it's our part in that equation Jesus accomplishes the salvation we receive it by faith but what is faith The problem is faith can mean all sorts of things today, can't it? So you could have somebody who says, I've got faith that the Washington Commanders are going to be a a great team this year. Said no one ever. I'm getting back at you, bud. Hey, all right. He does not have faith, right? But there's that kind of faith. There's also the other kind of faith that that means like you're a a really big fan of a particular celebrity. I don't know, Justin Bieber. He's got believers. He's got a fan group that's acknowledged by faith. Uh, let's see. Okay, so here's another example. Yesterday, um, I was sitting in the, in the living room working on my sermon for today, and a guy, young guy comes up, knocks on the door. He's a pest control salesman, right? And he's, he's uh, coming around selling stuff, and, and he's friendly. He's, we start a conversation. He, it takes a little while, and he finally gets to the point where he asks, like, hey, so uh, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm a pastor, He's like, oh, no way. I said, yeah, I'm actually working on my sermon right now. He said, what's it on? (laughs) It's Saturday. It's fresh in my mind. You're getting the full one. So I literally got to tell him the whole story about this father and then tell him exactly what I'm going to tell you guys about what kind of faith is. Like what faith is it that Jesus asks of us? And you know what he said in response? (laughs) He said, you know, yeah, yeah, I really feel like faith has to do with a lot of things. Like it covers a lot of areas of life. Like if, I don't know, like if I wanted to be a billionaire and like if I had enough faith, even in the hard times, I could get there. And I said, brother, <laughs> we don't share the same faith, do we? No, right? Faith isn't just a stick it out mentality. Faith isn't just a name it, claim it, right? What kind of faith is Jesus asking of us? Well, I'll tell you this, that this second recorded sign in the Gospel of John, the first one was turning water into wine in John 2. This second sign, this second miracle, not only does it demonstrate the nature and might and glory of Christ, but it also defines for us or demonstrates for us the kind of faith that Jesus is asking of you and me. The kind of faith that Jesus is asking for So if you can remember, Jesus just had this incredible ministry in the town of Sychar where he met this woman at the well. He shares pretty much the gospel of the kingdom with her. He's the Messiah. She runs. She evangelizes. People come out. They're saved. He's there for two days, according to our passage today. He's there for two days, and, and they're receiving him. They're believing in him. People are saying that he's the savior of the world. And then our narrative for today starts off with him going back to Galilee, making his way to Galilee, which was Jesus' home region. It's where he grew up. He grew up in Nazareth of Galilee. Now, one of the things you'll notice is one of th- in verse 44, he makes a pretty negative comment, right? He says what? A, a typical prof- uh, a proverb, right? A prophet is not welcome in his own hometown, right? Or in his own home nation. Why does he say that? Well, he's indicating the nature by which the Galileans receive him that it's not the same as those in the town of Sychar. If you notice in verse 45, Jesus, or the Gospel of John, it says that they received him, but it's indicating that he didn't receive him the way Sychar did. The way that they received him was the same way that those in John 2 at the festival received them. If I can jog your memory for a bit. Remember Jesus is at the, the temple, right? And he flips some tables, purges house, cleans it up and, and they want a sign and he tells them what the sign is and then it says that he continued to do signs and wonders and many believed in him when they saw the signs that he did but he did not entrust himself to them because he knew what was in the heart of man. And so if you can remember, that may have been a, like, a, like one of those sermons that kind of punched in the face with all sorts of love seasoned all over it. But if you can remember how we talked about how there's this this kind of consumeristic faith, a me-driven, sign-seeking faith that wants God's stuff more than it wants God himself. And that isn't really a saving faith, it's a faith that uses God for our own gain. And it's always gonna fail you whenever things get hard or you don't get what you want from God. So like that's what's in view here, it seems. Jesus and the gospel of John, John, the author John, is connecting things back to what happened at that time. So Galileans are, are seeing Jesus come in, and they say, hey, great, glad you're here, Jesus. Do some tricks. Hey, there's an invalid guy. Go, go heal him. Make, give, entertain us, right? Oh, and by the way, uh, while you're at it, can you make some of that wine that you made last time you were here? That was top shelf stuff. Right, like we've, we've, we've got this, this indication that there's there's this receiving of Jesus that wasn't really receiving Jesus and then another character enters in verse 47 there was this man that heard Jesus had come from judea into galilee a royal official a royal official. Guys, we, we, we don't know if he's a Jew or a Gentile. We don't know his ethnicity per se. Um, but we at least know that he was a nobleman who was contracted under the service of the local king. The king at that time was Herod Antipas. And so, so this guy, he's got connections to a king. He's got at least some influence because he's a royal official. He's got power. He has authority. He has a significance. He has wealth. And yet one trial enters into his life and everything he is and all that he has are all stripped down into one universal human experience. Powerlessness. Have you ever felt that before? Just by show of hands. Have you ever felt powerless over something? Anybody? Powerless? Powerless? If you're not raising your hands, then, then, then we need to talk, because I want to know what energy you're tapping into, right? His son is dying, and this dad is powerless. He can't do anything, and he's desperate. So what, is, what does he do? Well... There's a, apparently some reports, some rumors going around in the streets of Galilee and, and on the, the, the Galilean times, right? And, and there's reports about this man named Jesus who could do things like heal the sick, who, could, who can turn water into wine, who can make the lame walk, who can make the blind to see. So he's like, I might have a chance with this guy. I'm powerless, but this guy, he seems to have some power. And so he runs 20 miles from Capernaum down by the sea up to Cana to find this man named Jesus. And he finds Jesus in the town where he performed the first sign recorded, Cana, right, in in Cana at that wedding where he turned water into wine. If you have some time this week, read through this narrative and read back through that narrative again and you're gonna see so many connections, it's incredible. But he finds Jesus and he begs him, Jesus, I need you to come I need you to come heal my son. He's about to die. And Jesus does something here that, uh, that those who aren't familiar with Jesus' heart would say is rather cruel. But those who are concerned and knowledgeable of Jesus' heart realize that he's after one of the best things. Look at what he says. He confronts the problem of faith. In verse 48, look at what he says. Jesus says to this man, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. He makes this a matter of faith. He calls out the same problem that we see in John 2. Remember, they wouldn't believe unless they saw signs or wonders. And he calls out the same problem here. And he didn't just address this father. He addressed the whole town. He said, you people, plural, all of you, if you don't see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. He addresses the whole group, the whole region, the whole hometown. He's saying, you guys are sign seekers. You are wonder worshipers. That may sound cruel to most people, but to us, we're realizing, no, no, no. Jesus cares more about our faith and what it's placed in because he knows one way leads to eternal separation from God, the other one leads to eternal life. So he's leading into eternal life. And he makes it a matter of faith. He makes it about what this man's believing. But what does this man believe? What kind of faith is Jesus asking of this father? Well, he's definitely not asking for a sign-seeking faith. You see, this father's concern doesn't seem to be for Jesus to just do some nice tricks for him to be entertained by or to win his affection or allegiance. The father's not concerned about that. Look at what he says again. Verse 49, he says, please, sir, Lord, just come down before my boy dies. You see, this father is experiencing what it feels like to be poor in spirit. And what did Jesus say about those who are poor in spirit? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. You see, you see this dad isn't looking for Jesus to simply just prove himself. He's not looking for his own like, personal gain. He just wants Jesus' power to heal his son. And all he's able to do is throw himself on Jesus' mercy. And might. And even though Jesus just rebuked the whole region for the kind of faith that they were seeking Jesus with and how it only wanted signs, Jesus still shows his mercy and his might. Look at verse 50. Jesus says to him, Go, your son will live. we need to pause here for a second because it's easy for us to, uh, to know the narrative already in full and not actually picture what's going on in the scene here because you and I both know how this story ends. We've already heard it. We know how it ends. But this father doesn't. This father doesn't know that at that very moment, Jesus reached 20 miles with the word and ripped his son out of the grips of death and brought him to life and healed him. This father doesn't know that, but we do. So, I mean, we need to pause here and just immediately be amazed at, like, can you see how powerful our Jesus is Right? He, he didn't have to travel down 20 miles, take a few scans on the MRI and the x-rays and, 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 and do some blood tests and hook him up to some IVs and some medications. and say, oh, he'll be better. Right? No, he didn't have to do that. He just used the word from 20 miles away. Let me, let me try to explain this a little bit more. Guys, uh, one of the world's most pervasive problems that I think we have all experienced is uh, that the ice cream machines at McDonald's never work. I'm not wrong, right? They never work. Uh, Just real quick, can you just say a word and try to get the one over on Broad Street working again? I'm waiting because I want my ice cream after this. No? Can we? No. The techs of McDonald's can't even get it right with their hands on it. Jesus could just speak a word and it'd be fixed. Now, I don't think McDon- McDonald's ice cream machines are like on his priority list at all. But you know what he could do? And I think what he would care about? He could speak a word and the cancer patient fighting for their life over at Augusta Health could be instantly healed. He can speak a word from his throne on high and that, mom, that single mom over in the country of India who has two kids and she's been invalid her whole life and not been able to run with her kids, he could speak a word and she would be instantly healed from his throne. There's this undeniable apologetic that defends the character and the nature and the power of Jesus in his miracles. And God uses those miracles to spark within us greater and greater faith in our God. He can even do it in the greatest skeptic. Because Jesus is teaching us here that we, in our faith, in our faith in Christ, can have the expectation of the miraculous. And we can have this expectation of miraculous breakthrough that you and I, we can dream, we can pray, we can hope that God does incredible supernatural signs and wonders. Because that's part of the thrust of this whole narrative. But there's more than that though, isn't there? There's not just a demonstration that points to us that Jesus is the Messiah, there's also a demonstration of the very kind of faith that Jesus is asking of you and me, us mere mortals. You see, in Jesus' word to this Father, there's two things. There's a command or an imperative, and there's a promise. There's a command and a promise. The command demands our obedience. The promise demands our faith. And what does this story tell us about what this dad did? Verse 50 The man believed the word that Jesus said to him and departed. The man believed and departed. Did this dad see the sign done? Did he, did he see the miracle take place? No, no. He didn't, he didn't, it hadn't materialized in front of his eyes yet and yet he still believed the word. Think about it, if, if he hadn't believed Jesus, what might he have done? He, he may have asked, well, How how can I know? I'm not going to go home until you give me some evidence. He might test Jesus. Hey, do do something here that shows me you can at least do something over there, right? Like make two donkeys appear together and we'll ride back to my home and you can show me that my son's alive because I'm not leaving your side until you give me proof. No, this father doesn't do that. He doesn't ask any questions. He doesn't doesn't petition Jesus any further. He doesn't complain about the nature of Jesus' word and command to him. He doesn't complain about not even seeing the results take place. He just walks away believing Jesus' word. You see, his belief wasn't resting on the sign being seen. It was hanging on the words of the word, Jesus He accepted what Jesus said as truth, enough to convince him. Your son will live. Your son will live. I believe you. Okay, I'll go. Because this is starting to show us the kind of faith that Jesus is asking of us. It's a faith that believes in the word. Can you just say that with me, one, two, three? Faith believes in the word. Guys, the town of Sychar, they believed this way, right? In verse 42, in this same chapter of the town of Sychar, they said, we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the savior of the world. Guys, Jesus' promise was enough. It was enough for this dad to believe. In other words, part of our faith, there should be that space in our faith that our faith shouldn't be conditioned on whether or not we can see God's promises come to fruition. Like, like there's that song, It Is Well, not the old hymn, the new, new version of it. And it, Far be it from me to not believe even when my eyes can't see. Guys, you gotta remember, what did we talk about last week? You and I, we're more blind than we think. There's things going on that we aren't privy to. No, Jesus blesses this kind of faith. He celebrates it at the end of the gospel. In John 29, or 20, verse 29, he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. Guys, it's why we sing this hymn. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. This Father is blessed. He didn't see it yet, and still he believed. And what fruit did that kind of faith in Jesus produce out of it? Obedience. Obedience. You see, Jesus didn't just give the promise that your son will live. He gave the command, go. The NIV is weak. It gives the father permission. No, the, 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 the literal translation, go. Obey. See, the promise demanded faith. The command demanded obedience. And faith in the promise made obedience to the command the natural fruit of it. I mean, if he didn't believe Jesus, he wouldn't have left. He wouldn't have obeyed. He would have been clinging to his feet like a beggar. But this father believed, and so he obeyed. This is a further picture, a demonstration of the kind of faith that Jesus is asking of both you and me. It's one that believes in the word and obeys. But we're not done yet. It's obey, it obeys, right? So, so if faith is the root and the tree, right, then obedience is the fruit that shows us what kind of tree it is and how healthy it is, As that's pretty much what James is getting after in chapter two of his letter. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him. Can that kind of faith save him? In the same way, if it does not have works, faith by itself is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works. I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, if there isn't any obedience to the commands, then you can question if there's any real genuine faith in the promise or in the word. Guys, you gotta remember, Our obedience isn't how we're accepted by God. It's by faith alone, right? So so the kind of faith that believes in the word and obeys. This dad believes and he leaves. He trusts in the promise of the word and he obeys. And then he gets to see his faith turn to sight Instantly, right? 20 seconds later, everything's fulfilled. It's unicorns and rainbows and sunshine a, on a clear day, right? No, no, he doesn't get to see. He starts his walk back for another 20 miles. By the way, it takes about six and a half hours to seven hours to walk 20 miles at a normal pace. 20 miles from Cana back to Capernaum, which means he was walking for several hours that morning to find Jesus in Cana. He gets sent back and he's wondering. He's, he's, he's going home. He has to stay somewhere overnight. He gets up the next day and he keeps walking, right? You think he slept well that night? You think he didn't have some doubts? You didn't think, oh, maybe I need to go back. I need to make sure he did this, Right? No, he he just, he gets up in the morning, he keeps walking back home, and at some point his servants meet him on the way back home, and they are shouting, and they're running, and they have smiles on their faces, and they tell him the incredible news. You see, this guy, he didn't just believe in the word and obeyed. He believed in the word and he obeyed even in the wait, he obeyed even in the weight. You see, that's the kind of faith Jesus seems to be asking of us here. It's a faith that believes in the word and a faith that obeys in the weight. Can we say this together? One, two, three. Faith believes in the word and obeys in the weight. We get it now. This seems to be the kind of faith that Jesus is looking for, that he celebrates, that the gospel of John has been wanting of us. This is what this gospel is all about because it's the kind of faith that Father Abraham showed. You remember that guy? In Genesis 15, verse six, it says, Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. It wasn't his works, it was his belief in God. So faith in God equals righteousness. Faith in God means justified, it means saved. And that faith that Abraham had in God responded with obedience when God called him out and said, go to a land that I will show you. So he, believing God, packs up his things and goes. It's the same kind of faith that obeyed God when God gave the peculiar command, hey, you need to take your son up on the top of the mount and you need to offer him in sacrifice to me. It's the kind of faith That obeyed that. You see, Abraham knew the covenant promise. He knew the word to him. He knew that the promise was going to come through the lineage of Isaac, that Isaac was going to be where the covenant blessing comes. He didn't see the whole picture, and yet he believed in God, obeyed in the wait, and he brings his son up to the top of that mountain, and God provides a ram. But Abraham believed in the way he believed and obeyed even in the confusion, still believing the word, holding on to the promise. And that proved what kind of faith he had. And it proves to us what kind of faith we're to have. You see, the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, chapter four, verse 16 says this. This is why the promise is by faith so that it may be according to grace to guarantee it all to the descendants, not only to the one of, uh, who is of the law, but also to the one who is of Abraham's faith. He's the father of us all. You ever wonder where that song, Father Abraham, that song, it came from this, just so you know. Okay, this father joined in the faith of Abraham. He believed in the word and he obeyed in the weight. And this is the kind of faith that Jesus seems to be asking of you and me. Now, I want to make two quick observations because the story's not done yet. I, I know we kind of know it, but, but there's two observations uh, in this text that I want to make. One of them is something that this kind of faith definitely does not do. One thing this kind of faith definitely doesn't do. The second observation is what this kind of faith can do. What it definitely doesn't do and what it can do. First, what it definitely doesn't do. Did you notice verse 51? While this father was still going down, his servants met him saying that his boy was alive. He asked them at what time he got better. Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. They answered, The father realized this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. Did you notice when the promise was fulfilled? It was fulfilled the instant that it was spoken out of the mouth of the king. Was the promise contingent upon the faithful obedience of the father? No. No it already came to pass. It already was fulfilled, regardless if that dad obeyed or believed or not. So one thing that this kind of faith, a faith that believes in the word and obeys in the weight, one thing that this faith does not do, definitely doesn't do, it definitely doesn't keep God faithful. Faithful. God will be faithful regardless if you are faithless. Now, don't get me wrong. There are certain blessings, there are certain promises in Scripture that are contingent on the obedience, but don't you ever convince yourself or let Satan deceive you into thinking that your faith and your perfect obedience keeps God responsible for his promises. You can say, oh, I've messed up again. I gave into that sin habit. I guess that means that God's just not going to do anything with me anymore. That he's going to forsake me and abandon me. No, no, no. God's promises are contingent on his own willingness to be faithful and on Christ's perfect obedience. So, praise God that God will not defile his own glory and forget one of his promises to you, and that Christ won't be counted as insufficient to secure the yes and the amen for all of God's promises. Your faith and your obedience don't keep God faithful to his own character and promises, he'll take care of that himself. So that's one thing this kind of faith definitely doesn't do. Here's the thing that this kind of faith can do. Verse 53. So this father, this royal official, himself believed along with his whole household. Men, husbands and fathers, if there's ever any reason for you to get serious about your faith in Christ, this ought to be it. He believed Jesus and his whole household followed. Guys, I think I've shared the statistics with you before, but in case you've forgotten, in a family unit, if the child is the first one to follow Jesus, 3.5% of the time the whole family follows. Just 35 In a family unit, if the mom is the first one to get saved in that family, 17% of the time, the whole family follows suit and follows Jesus. But in a family unit where the dad, the husband, is the first to follow Jesus, you know how many times, the percentage of the time that whole family follows suit? 93%. So men... How long are you going to hold on to your own strength? How long are you going to hold on to your own determination to be able to accomplish in you and in your family and in the world what only Jesus alone can do for you and only what Jesus alone can do for your family? You can keep trying to do it. You can keep trying to do it on your own, make your own pathways and lead your own self and lead your own family and you will do it in separating them from God and leading them straight into the grave. So if not already, There's gonna be a day where you experience the same kind of powerlessness that this dad had. Don't you dare flee from those moments. Instead, run to Jesus. Believe Jesus alone to heal and to lead your own family. Believe him with the kind of faith that believes in his word and obeys him in the wait. And then look at what can happen in your family. Get serious about your faith in Christ. Stop moping around about the costs that he asks when you ask for him to save you. And he says, follow me, become my disciple. Stop complaining about the costs. Take on the mantle of spiritual leadership in your own home. Run to Jesus every day. And your family will reap the benefits Imagine, oh, oh, my dad's more like Jesus than ever, than ever before. Oh, darn. Oh, my husband? Man, he's loving Jesus more. Oh. oh, I didn't want that to happen. Who says that? Right? Like, my goodness. The benefits are immeasurable when a husband and a father decides in their powerlessness that I can't save myself and I'm gonna run to Jesus. So, for example... Husbands and fathers, men, there's a there's a freedom worship night coming up this Friday that's designed for you to help lead your family in worship to our King. There's a platform for you. I dare you take it on. You see, this is the kind of faith that Jesus asks of us. It's the kind of faith that believes in the word and obeys in the weight and it doesn't keep him faithful to his promises because he's already faithful regardless remember how we just sang about that but this kind of faith can potentially lead your whole family from death to eternal life so will you will you do this this morning will you believe in our god with this kind of faith a faith that believes in the word and obeys in the weight, no matter who you are. So you'd say, hey, even if I'm not seeing any kind of breakthrough in my life, God, no, I'm gonna seek you morning, noon, and night. I will not stop seeking you because I know one one of these times you're gonna show up in power and breakthrough. Or you might say like, hey, even if my wife disrespects me, even if she doubts me or mocks me or belittles me, no, I'm still going to love her, Jesus, as you loved your bride. Or, or it might be the opposite, right? If, if my husband, even if my husband is angry, even if he's distant, even if he's not available to me, no, I'm still going to respect him. I'm still going to commit myself to him because this is what you ask of me, Jesus. Or, or you might even say something like, even if, even if my bank account's low, it's running dry, I'm still gonna offer my first fruits to the kingdom ministry, Or it might say like, hey, even if I'm stretched too thin and I'm just way too busy, I'm still going to serve in kingdom ministry. Or it might even say, hey, even if I've got some church hurt, I've got some pain in my life and I don't feel accepted among this group, I'm still going to commit myself to the gathering of the church that Jesus has called me to. Or it might even say, hey, even if I don't see any change or progress in my friend's life, Jesus, I'm still gonna keep sowing seeds of the gospel. Even if, because we believe in his word and we obey in the weight. That is the kind of faith that Jesus asks of us. Does it characterize your faith? If not, today is the day salvation today is a day that you can decide that you can receive Jesus as all he's intended to be prophet, priest and king maybe it's not that you don't have faith maybe you are believing but you need the shepherd of your soul to tend to your unbelief maybe that's you today We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.